When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just like that, the final hour is here for this Wednesday edition from the Outkick Studios. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. And, Chad, we've got Nate Bargatze coming in the studio with us in about 20 minutes. One of our all-time favorites. Uh, he's a big-timer now. He's gone from small little comedy clubs to selling out arenas. And he has sold out Bridgestone Arena right here in Nashville Saturday night. His prime video special, Hello World has been a big hit. His Netflix specials are big hits, and I think he'll be a big hit with our audience as well. Coming up in about 20 minutes with Nate Bargatze. Can't wait. I am hoping the weather improves for Augusta National, but Augusta, Georgia oh, right now, that the weather what a bummer. not going to be great for the weekend. It really comes in on Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday is just a, I mean, the highs are going to be like 51, and a lot of rain is expected in the forecast. There's a chance we're discussing something on Monday involving a final round, potentially. Um, I saw Saturday the high is 50. Yeah. It's going to be rainy and a high of 50 on Saturday. And that benefits certain players over others. You know, Mike Weir, the the year he won uh, was a a washout. He played played very conservative. That's his style. Ended up winning based on that. It wasn't set up for the aggressive player. And we have a – Masters champ, and we are because of that. Who knows who that will end up being this year if, in fact, the weather's going to play the factor that it looks like right now. Today's the last day of great weather there, so if you're there for the practice round of the par three today, uh, hats off to you. You lucked out. The Live Tour and the PGA Tour, we had Scott Stallings on earlier this week, and he said, for me, it's no big deal. Uh, PGA player playing Augusta, but really anywhere. He doesn't care who's in the locker room with him or, you know, who's sharing the tee box with, whatever. But as far as the, the, the players on the course, live players are going to play separate of the PGA Tour players. Uh, and this, this is Augusta trying not to end up having a situation where uh, you, I would want it, but you don't have McElroy uh, going at it, for instance, with Dustin Johnson or whatever, or whoever it might be. But they can't avoid that. Once the weekend rounds get here. Yeah. And that's where it could get great. And that's what I brought with Scott. I was like, what 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 about a scenario where you represent the PGA tour? You've got the lead on Sunday and you're head to head against a live tour professional and the, the rooting interest there. There were six of the eighteen players from the Live Tour who were in Augusta. Six of them are former champs, and they were at the champions dinner last night. And everyone attended. Although it was reported that Mickelson sat, he was distant and did not speak at all, was the report that Mickelson did attend but did not speak uh, in regards to the, and I don't, I don't know how he wouldn't be able to speak, why Phil Mickelson would choose that. But again. Well, he's probably pissed off at them, if I had well, to guess, because a lot of people are taking shots at him. I, I, I would think it would be the other way around. there are other in the room, too. Yeah, but... He was the guy that got just 
roasted. No, I'm saying he can speak to them if he wants to speak. Yeah, yeah, he can speak to those guys. But I'm saying if he's being separate from the PGA guys, yeah. that would probably be the reason. Uh, those cheeseburger sliders that Scheffler had made were t- looked delicious. The Masters tweeted out the process of making that on the menu. It looked great. Fuzzy Zeller, by the way, he's, he's the one who went public with it. He said, uh, we're just 33 past champions in a room all trying to get along. Nobody said a word about it, mentioning the live and PGA. Phil sat near the end of the table and kept to himself. He did not speak at all. As for Fred Couples, Couples spoke a lot, didn't mention live at all. I sat next to Freddie, and he and Ray Floyd kept trying to figure out how many champions had come out of the final group. <laughs> well, I love that. Again, that's, it, it's very normal behind closed doors. Yeah, Scott Stalling said there's no talk about it with yeah. players anymore. But then publicly, it's, well, we got to separate the two because we don't want any beef or drama. Bubba Watson's a team owner in Liv, and yeah. I saw the Masters post his ace that he had in the Par 3 contest today and celebrate it. The Masters are very unique in not – they don't put Liv players versus PGA players because the Masters, it's one of the few events that it's not about the competitors. It's about the Masters. Yeah. It's about the course. Even the great players that everyone knows their name, it's not about them the week of the Masters. It is about all hell to Augusta National and the Masters. So anything that would take away from this tournament and create any controversy or make it more about talk of live guys versus PGA guys or Dustin Johnson versus Roy McIlroy, they will avoid at all costs until they can't avoid it. For reasons you said, Hutton, you get to Saturday or Sunday, they have to be paired together because of their score. That's where they can't avoid it. But while they can control it, they're going to keep the focus on the Masters. It's one of the very few events that can pull this off and make it all about themselves and not about the players. This week is about that course. It's about that tournament. It's about that tradition. And it's not about petty rivalries. It's not about any one player. It's about the Masters. Tiger Woods, who's the biggest phenom and celebrity in the sport, would be the first to tell you that. That this week, it's about Augusta National. Well, and, and it also, it's, it keeps the media from asking the same questions from Thursday on, if you're paired with that player, right? In, in, the, in the press corps room, following the round. Yep. For at least two days. Um, the European Tour scored a victory against the Live Tour, though. Key case going on where the tour, it was rolled in court in London, they can find players who compete on the rival tour of live without permission from the European tour, meaning you can't just bail and go sign and compete. They can fine you. Um, decision, so they've got the, the ruling would allow European, would allow the European tour to impose a, a thousand, 100,000, Dollar or one about one hundred twenty-five thousand dollar fine, hundred thousand pounds on a player to compete and live golf without conflicting events. So that moving forward, the PGA's got to feel like that's a small victory and what's going to be an uphill battle unless they choose to merge and live to uh, part of the punt, live to you know work together in the future. I I'm a little different on this, so I think the victory for the PGA Tour is to stop worrying about the live tour stop finding stop caring keep going about your business i don't think it's affecting their bottom line right now with what live is doing i think the more they are seemingly uh, for lack of a better term butthurt over the live tour the more we're talking about it the more interest it's drawing 
I don't. I think if they let it go away, it will go closer to going away, and there won't be as big of a pool because the money may not be there forever yeah. for the live tour. Where you know there may come a point where even with Saudi oil money, they get tired of spending it for not for very little in return. So just stop. I think the players have stopped for the most for part, the most bickering part. back and forth. Yeah. So if I'm the PGA, look, I. This is a decision being made above my pay grade, obviously. But if I'm the PGA, my PR stance would be, we don't talk about it. We're a bigger deal than they are. We get more eyeballs. We got a better media rights deal. We got better players overall. We're not going to talk about them. We're not going to find them. They can go make money however they want. We're going to go about our business. They're going to go about their business, and we're going to win. That's what I'm saying internally to every PGA employee if I'm the head of PGA. Chad, uh, switching gears to college football, Hugh Freeze with a, a great idea, uh, I believe, in all corners of a decision that could come for, you know, or debated or voted on, where he wants to do away with spring games and instead have a scrimmage against an in-state opponent where proceeds go to charity. Here is Auburn head coach Hugh Freeze. I'm going to cry again for the solution to my – the solution is – allow us to scrimmage somebody on a day, (laughs) another team. And I think everybody would get out of it exactly what they want. And if everybody's doing that, then, um, you know, and let's adopt a charity um, to give all the proceeds to, um, you know, let's, let's take foster care in the state of Alabama or or orphan care in the state of Alabama. And let's all, let's Alabama play uh, Troy and we play UAB or vice versa or whoever I don't care or Alabama State or, or or whoever and people will come see that and you're decreasing your injury um, possibilities by fifty percent and coaches are smart enough to control we're not going to hit each other's quarterbacks we practice that way and if you want to put a blue jersey or a different jersey on somebody this don't take to the ground we can do that and i just think it would be great for the sport i think it would be awesome nfl gets to scrimmage against others high schools get to scrimmage against each other's and i just for the life of me i don't understand why we haven't gotten to that point where we can pull that off I agree, and I, I mean, I don't know what's holding back on this I idea. Don't either. It's got to be some sort of NCAA exception to have basically a, a sanctioned event against another NCAA school at a different time of year. They need some sort of exception written in. Yeah, this makes too much sense to not happen. That was very well laid out by Hugh Freeze. I agree with everything he says. You can still protect your quarterback and do different things. Coaches do this all the time. They know how to handle their teams in this situation. It would be great for that smaller program. It's terrific for the fans of the bigger programs to get to see a game against a different opponent, even if it's a lesser opponent, to have some sort of marking point for what your team looks like in the spring. I think it's a win-win for everyone. I would extend it out. This is the best option. Why not have joint practices if they can do it in the NFL? Why not have someone come in for a week and have practice and have limited viewership with fans that can come out and watch it. That's another good way to get your team ready against someone else. You've got the USFL and XFL now. If it's not between two NCAA teams, could you play 
the Birmingham oh. Stallions against the Alabama Crimson Tide in a scrimmage in a game? Could you mingle pro and college teams Man. against each other? They did it for years in basketball. They had semi-pro basketball teams that would go head-to-head in the preseason. Marathon Oil would play college teams, and they were you know, grown adults that were getting paid to play that would play against them. Yeah. I mean – well, what fans if, would like to see that too. Well, I'm thinking immediately of that's like, a lesser uh, option than you know Troy versus Auburn as an example, or, or UAB Alabama against, State, UAB with Trent Dilfer. Alabama, there now. yeah. You know, you could go and and he's Dilfer said he's like I'd be immediately. He loves the idea. He's like immediately I'd be calling up Saban to I'd get on a bus and we would take our team to you know Tuscaloosa and I mean I guess you could also meet somewhere else too if you wanted to do that and you could have a scrimmage elsewhere but it does i mean and you could spread the wealth in every state you know there are enough uh, he mentioned alabama state there are enough either uh you know mid-level programs or hbcus or whoever you can go to in your state and spread the wealth about who gets to play the sec schools playing against these schools instead of for homecoming in november playing them in the spring game and helping out there's a lot of benefit to it now what the, the next response would be like well it would be the SEC, and I don't, I mean, I'm admitting this, the SEC would keep their spring game. It would still be A day, right? Um, you're doing away with anything you would have been doing at any of the other yeah. schools participating in this. But my guess is the monetary return is something that the fans at those schools should want and should admit that they need compared to whatever they're making on what is normally a free gate and you're making concessions off of whatever for a spring game. The, the spring, what the spring game has become, not that it was ever great, but what the spring game has become, unless you are a program that is trying to show how excited you are about your new coach, and when you, just, you want to set some sort of spring game records for that reason, I don't know why any fan would go and watch it, would actually go to the game and physically watch I it. Agree. I mean, I, you, know, you might watch a highlight package, if the game is televised and go back and see some of the highlights of players you haven't seen before, I can understand that. But watching it start to finish, no value in it. Now, if you're playing Troy or UAB and you're Alabama or Auburn or you're playing Alabama A&M or Alabama State, suddenly there's some intrigue there because it's a different opponent and you're playing the game a little bit differently than you otherwise would have. I'm all for Hugh Freeze's idea. I love it. Chad, coming up, Nate Bargatze will join us in studio. He's pulling up here at 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The comedian, he's gone from, you know, the civic centers and the country club tours and the local comedy clubs to now selling out arenas. And from the Netflix special, now the great one with uh, Amazon Prime and video, Amazon Prime Video, Nate joins us in studio. He's been a longtime friend of the show. Great conversation ahead right here on Hot Mike. Nate Bargatze will join us in studio in a couple of minutes. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Um, 
Rockies pitcher Daniel Bard, he started the season on the injured list due to anxiety from the World Baseball Classic. And he's the pitcher who threw the pitch that hit Altuve. And some of that extends from that moment. And this is not... he. He's had an issue with this. Yes, but it's a very intriguing story because he was in the league for a stretch run of a number of seasons with the Red Sox. And he was very then, good for a stretch. Then he was not back in the league until, what, a year or two ago? After playing in the minors? Seven or eight years, he went away. And to step away for anxiety after, you know, some of it stemming from the Altuve pitch in the World Baseball Classic, um, this is serious. Because if you waited that long to get back to the stage and you're willing to step back and deal with it, that's... That's saying something, at least to me. He says, from my experience knowing myself, I think I just need to take a step back, taking time to work through things, get it right. That's the best approach. So it's my understanding he, he got away from baseball for seven years. I don't know that he played in the minors. He was with Boston from 2009 to 2013. And I'm looking at baseball reference right now. Then he came back in 2020, seven years later with the Rockies. And he had dealt with some anxiety issues before. The first high-profile case I can remember of this was Zach Greinke. If you yeah. remember with the Royals, yeah. had to step away for some treatment with, the anxi- with social anxiety that he was facing at the time. And yeah. he's, he's had a very good career, but it's yeah. something you got to take care of. And Bard's had the Comeback Player of the Year award, I believe, If too. something pops up, it's, you got to take care of it. So kudos to him for being strong enough to admit there's an issue right now and stepping away to take care of it before he rejoins the team. Something to keep an eye on with name, image, and likeness. The, the firm who represented and won the Alston case is now representing more college athletes. This straight from front office sports. They're, they could be facing, NCAA could be facing a billion-dollar lawsuit because on yesterday, attorneys representing two former college athletes, they filed a federal antitrust lawsuit against the NCAA and the Power Five conferences seeking retroactive educational payments for college athletes from 2018 to 2020. And they are arguing all of this in light of the Austin ruling, which they won, and allowed college athletes to profit off of their name, image, and likeness, that they have at least 5,000 and maybe up to 20,000 athletes who are owed back pay from 2018 all the way up until the 2020 season based on the damages of at least 200 million, as much as 1 billion for the affected athletes and I guess this is the time frame where they were arguing this yeah that ultimately won and some of the I mean uh, you've got Hubbard uh, running back from Oklahoma State who's in this uh there's an Auburn track athlete from this time frame that's also represented and named those are the two plaintiffs and they're going to add more to this and normally you'd say okay this is trying to pick something out of the coffers that players are getting now that they weren't getting We've seen that in the NFL, for instance. Any, any major league system that's set up right now, they're better off today than where they were 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago based on the collective bargaining agreements that continue to rise and healthcare and everything else that's involved in that. And I would have chalked this up to that, except for the fact that it's the same attorneys that know the Austin case back and forth. And it felt like a matter of time that the Austin case would have happened what, what happened with it, the result of it would happen, and then there would just be some lag time until someone was going to try to bankrupt the NCAA. 
and go after them and yeah. seek damages, and now it's happening. So instead of being able to profit off your name and his likeness, the, the lawsuit is going to try to profit off of the fact that they couldn't. Could not, yes. And, and they were being held back because of the NCAA. I wonder what the strategy is on the two, the two athletes, why two, and how they met with this attorney in the, in the law firm that's ultimately going to dive headfirst into this. And does this not, I feel like this is something that should become a class action type deal. That you throw it out to a lot of college athletes yeah. during the time, and then you get like the a concussion lot of, lawsuit. Get a lot of people on it, and then the damages would be distributed to to a lot of people, and it looks a lot different when there's hundreds of athletes signing up for the lawsuit. But I'm also not a lawyer, Hutton. Never right. even went to law school. Yeah, I know that shocks you. We just sometimes pretend to be. Yes, we're friends we with try. people who are. Yeah, we're we know a lot of lawyers. <laughs> When I'm asked legal advice, I just say, I, I never went to law school, but I know a ton of lawyers. There are a bunch of phone numbers. Pick one. Yes. There you go. Yes. Um, so Nate Bargatze is about to walk in. He's got the Be Funny Tour. And I've often thought, like, to jump in and make that your full-time gig, comedian, the, the respect I have for the guys that get up on stage like that, and it's, hey, be funny, but also be new. Like, I don't want to hear the same material I heard on Netflix or that we heard on Amazon Prime Video. That's extremely tough. I think even tougher to be a clean comic now because you can say certain words and phrases that get a laugh every time. But, Chad, the, the be funny aspect of what they do is something I probably haven't given enough respect to over the years. Big fan of the Nate Land podcast. Also, he does with some of his buddies in comedy. Um, I have the utmost respect for the art of stand-up comedy and to have the bravery to be willing to stand up in front of a room of people and try to make everyone laugh and entertain them, knowing the chances that you bomb, that it's there and that no one's going to laugh or no one's going to pay attention. And to think about the imposter syndrome that has to settle in. You know, Hutton, we spoke in an event the other night yeah. in front of probably 200 people. And when we sat up there, it does cross my mind, no one here wants to hear from you or see you. <laughs> Why would they care about your stories? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're funny? Why are you doing this? Now imagine stepping up in front of 20,000 people at Bridgestone Arena, right? Think about that happening and what that would feel like if you're Nate Bargatze going from small club to selling out arenas. Yeah. And, and, and we'll also, ask him about that. But also the decision to make it your full-time gig to where you're going to fund it and you have to live that life. What was the show that we were watching that's like the reality? Crashing. Crashing. Um, another, another show that I enjoyed that was recently we, or quickly canceled. Yeah, I think it was only once, maybe one or maybe two, two seasons. seasons. But uh, I remember uh, we had Nate on at one point, yeah. and he liked the show too and said it's very realistic. But all the comedians I, that Bill Burr was in uh, an episode of it, I remember, yeah. and all the comedians that would come through. Um, but that it lifestyle, is, you it, know? Yeah. They're getting home at 4 a.m., you're doing two shows. You're staying in a condo that's not cleaned. But, There's comedy condos in all these these yeah. cities that the club owns, and but, they just let the comedian that's coming through stay there. Or if you you know you're begging, you're you're handing out things in order to get enough return for the club to allow you to play the club that night. You bring enough people in, then they'll let but you then, get five minutes. But then you bring enough people in, and then if Chappelle wants to walk in and grab the mic, you're done. Peace. Don't need you. And the way when you hear comedians talk about what it's like, right? When they come through and t talk about the process of doing this, but also how you have to sharpen your, your tools and get up on stage and go to comedy clubs 
and attempt to do this often just to stay relevant, but also stay on top of your game. I mean, it is a full combat sport, I feel like, to go and do stand-up comedy. But then also you want to, I'm, I'm sure there were some reservations for him too. We'll ask about the, the decision to do the, the arena. Because that's not easy. I'll never, it, right before COVID hit, Justin Bieber announced this stadium tour across the country. It was not selling well at all. We know because one of the stadiums was Nissan here in Nashville. Then COVID hit, and you could blame the cancellation of the tour on COVID, and now he's back into arenas. So there is a big jump in what you perceive from people around you are telling you versus, oh, man, there's, I see the empty seats. That, that would bug it's me. It's not even just a big jump from that. It's a big jump from five-minute opener to 15-minute middle, if you're at a show, to one hour of comedy or 45 minutes. You're set. And how you have to lengthen it, the more popular you get whether you're a headliner in the middle or in the beginning. Chad, I am uh, I'm texting with uh, Nate right now. and We could always take a break and come back well, and do a long segment. Well, I'm going to make sure they're going to, that we need to before they get in here. The weather's awful. Yeah, uh, we, had a, we had a bad bit of weather hit right as he was supposed to be joining us here in downtown Nashville. Chad, in regards to um, earlier in the show, Major League Baseball, pitch clock, and the new rules working, what rule – it has been implemented, you're like, ah, this probably isn't speeding up the game all that much. I think we're putting everything into a bucket and saying it's working. But at some point, don't the players get some say in, okay, we're doing this, but we're also doing this, and the pitch clock and those in the batter's box, that's working. But do we really need certain aspects of the shift and everything else, or bigger bases, or things that have implemented more steals, uh, more runs in yeah, theory. I, well, I think it's the two rules that it, when they made the rules, it had nothing to do with speed of the game. Enlarge the bases being bigger has helped to, you know, guys stealing bases more and being safe more. Uh, the lack of the shift has led to, I think, more hitting in offense. That's not going to shrink the game. It's going to lengthen it. Um, the rules they put in place to shrink the game with pitch clock, that has, to me, worked out brilliantly. Mentioned earlier, Manny Machado was thrown out yesterday for arguing about a pitch clock violation that ended an inning with a 3-2 count with two outs in the first. That's the first one we've seen after 65 games before that. So it's not been an issue early on. It's, I don't think, been a huge adjustment for the players other than they're just now being ingrained with playing faster. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. But they're, they're, it is. they're being programmed to play the game at a quicker pace, and I think that helps the viewership of the game. I'm going to make the comparison, and they're not the same because one's health-related, one's to benefit the sport. But, Chad, the, the aspect of what the players had to do with the new rules for the concussion protocol and how you had to learn how to tackle different than what you were taught to do, that's what, in essence, the players are here having to do. Because what we saw from Machado, I mean, that's where he's asking for time. Yeah. That's granted. I mean, that's that's a no-brainer. Yeah, but Automatic if, it's, if it's eight seconds umpire. on the clock, I'm saying previous to the season. Yeah, when he holds the hand up, it would just throw the ball. It doesn't matter. Yep. And oh, and they they could do that retroactively. You know, he had time. You know, go back to the mound. It's also a judgment call. You know, the umpire could not call yeah. it, and you could just take a strike, and then the batter's going to be mad. We have uh, uh, been friends with our next guest. We're for, never for mad when our next guest no. joins us. We. I believe the first time we had him on was the first time he was playing the local comedy club here. I may be wrong on that, but Nate Bargatze joins us. 
Uh, now, the world-renowned Nate Bargatze. And just to make him feel more at home, we made him walk through the rain to come into the studio today. Nate, good to see you, brother. Good to see you. Keeping it real, dude. I'm soaking wet. Uh, it, it it's sounds unreal out there. Oh, it's wild, dude. It's, <laughs> it we terrible. parked, like, across, and then it was like we jumped. So you jumped down, and then the road is, I mean, inches <laughs> of water. It's like a river. I dropped my phone in it, so we're going to see what happens with that. I'm excited to see if that works. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. We were discussing right before you walked in, there are different levels and tiers to how you work your way up. Mm -hmm. And announcing the arena tour and the fact, I mean, I was going to promote tickets are available. Tickets are not available. It's sold (laughs) out on the 15th. Uh, Yeah, it's wild, dude. Is it difficult to wrap your mind around it? Or is this like, at this point, is it like, man, the, the hard work paid off? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, like I, when I came on this show was year, I mean, years ago at Zany's, uh, and, uh, so y'all have always been so great to me. And then, uh, but now to do the Bridgetone show, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's tough. I know it's going to be a lot like that night. I mean, there's going to be, it's because we're doing the show on the round and it's so many people. Uh, it's, you always feel like an imposter thing where you don't know like even that moment you're gonna be like i don't know who who are they here to see you can't imagine it's you is Chappelle here yeah you really do like you think you know you're just like well i'm just you know I'm, sandler's I, back yeah you're like maybe he's here you know <laughs> someone's gonna come out so it seems insane that it is uh that they're coming to see you so i i you know i don't know like i think in the moment like you're it's, I mean, you got to do a show and then you're going to just, it, it, but it'll be, luckily I'm off at my age. They booked me where I'm off that next week. Like we just knew how big this one was going to be. And like when this, this one means the most to me, because when I started out, I moved to Chicago, then New York city, and I was uh, handing out flyers. I would, I would honestly, I would dream about being able to play Bridgestone. Just like you let your mind daydream as I was out in two degree weather, handing out flyers. And I don't even think you think you're going to get there. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years now, so uh, you, you don't even let yourself kind of, but you don't, you have your little daydream. So to be able to be doing it is uh, wild. Is it harder to connect uh, with a huge audience when you're accustomed, you know, you start out in the night in the clubs, you immediately can tell if you're dying or if you're killing on stage, right? Mm-hmm. But when it's that big and you, you've already played some arenas on this tour, how does it change the connection with the audience in terms of feedback you're getting during your act? Yeah, it's, it's, it is completely different. They're so far back. What I'm excited about Bridgestone is it's in the round. So it's, the, it's, it's almost for how big it's going to be. It's like there's every, I'm still going to be – I'm in the middle. So, you know, no one's that far from you. Like when we just did where the Penguins play in Pittsburgh, uh, the stage was all the way back of like the hockey rink, and then the whole floor was full – so the people in the back are they're pretty far away, uh, but you know they make the sound like we got the audio guys are so great this creative audio that we use like so they make it where everybody can hear it everybody can you know you can feel like you're there I know they're watching on the screen uh, doing these arenas like I don't like I'll, I want to continue I like doing these arenas obviously you like doing them but like theaters you kind of end up I think doing a mix eventually where you could do like an arena then you come back and do theaters or like maybe I go to the Ryman next time and just kind of go back to a smaller setting just for what it is but they make it feel great and I think it's about the audience being together 
Like it's, you know, you want to be there and you're laughing with, you laugh a lot when other people around you laughing and everybody's having a good time. And so it's, it's, that's the, you know, the show has to be, the show's going to be great. Uh, and then with, I mean, we have a, like, I'm not saying just me, my part's <laughs> going to be pretty rough. You got to get through it. Uh, <laughs> but like, I have the podcast guys on the show. My dad's on the show. And so the show's going to, it just, all of that, it just adds to it. And we just want everybody to have like a, you know, Nashville specifically is like to have a little break, uh, you know, just to, we've had so much going on just to be able to like put everything away for a second and then have fun. It is a show worth showing up early for and watching and taking in and laughing all the way through. Nate Bargatze with us. The Be Funny Tour, it's not just in Nashville. It runs through November 11th. I believe you end in Vegas. Um, NateBargatze.com. Uh, oh, oh, more yeah, than that. Well, we're announced. It's going to be for the rest of my life. Uh, no, it's, no <laughs> it's, we have fall dates and stuff. But yeah, right now. It's, in 2026 when this tour ends. Yeah, before it's be, canceled. Uh, Once COVID right now, picks back up, yeah. we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go cancel again. COVID Zeta, yeah. the Zeta yeah. variant of COVID. Go to Nate's around. website for more information the schedule there, natebargassi.com. You know, it's um, incredible. I, I love your podcast, uh, Nate Land. I also listen to Fly on the Wall with Dana Carvey and David Spade. Mm. And it's interesting to hear about comedy and I watch you on stage, and it, it all, I mean, I guess it's your junior job, but it looks very natural. But when you time things out, and you're trying to stay on time, uh, listening to, to Fly on the Wall, they were talking about, there are times where you go too fast, or times where mm. you extend it based on nerves, or based on just what you're doing that night, and you get done, and realize, I only did 44 minutes, it's supposed to be 51, or it's supposed to be an hour, and it's 52. How often does that happen with you? Uh, it happens a lot. I mean, it depends on the crowd. Like this at Bridgestone will be, you got to sit in it a little bit more. I know that's going to, I mean, you you could throw in, honestly, you could probably guess five, maybe seven to 10 minutes just because I'm at home. Just like that's going to be just coming out and like leaving and the it's just going to be its own thing. So you know it's going to be at least a little bit longer. But when you go to some places, they can, you know, it can be on a Sunday or something and they just laugh quick. When I, I just went to Europe. And uh, when I was in Amsterdam, they they would laugh, but they laugh and then they stop very fast, like almost all together. So those are like a little bit tighter because you got to be like, oh, all right. You, there's not a roll going. And so sometimes you get a crowd like that where they're not a bad crowd, but they're just, it just feels a little tighter. And you're like, all right, I thought that was, I thought I had enough. That normally works. Yeah, that normally, well, you just know you're going to be like, Sometimes you like as I have a clock and you can see it and you like I know if I'm at uh, some I know there's a part where if I'm at the wife material at this amount of time I'm good and if I'm, sometimes you get there a little early and you're like oh boy you start just thinking about <laughs> stretch yeah you're time just you think about every new joke idea you have you're like oh get something in there you know <laughs> you know it's uh, so many comedians are trying to um, this is not a, a promise this is not a diss at you but so many comedians are trying to go. say something they're trying to like tell the audience something to think. And I feel like part of what you've mastered is you're there to make people laugh and just allow people to have a good time. And mm. that's very different in comedy in a lot of circles, right? Like we yeah. talk about Top Gun Maverick being so successful because it didn't tell me to think about anything. Yeah, I just went there and I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. And yeah. the return of that story, it was great, right? Great. Is that something you think about when you're writing your comedy of, I just want people to laugh and I'm not really trying to say anything profound? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I look at like, look at, yeah, Top Gun is a perfect example. Look at Adam Sandler. I like, I like, I love, uh, when he was at, I kind of 
I came to the show and he was at Bridgetown, and, and then we got to hang out. We were there as and, well. It was awesome. Yeah, awesome. And it's just super fun. We didn't hang out with him. And then yeah, we were not backstage. Yeah. Should have come back. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it, with Adam, it was like his whole world is like I see it where I'm like I want I want to try to do that where you try to it's just every everything that you know he's going to make is just going to be fun and like you can be like whatever you like whatever movie or you don't like this one whatever it's like it's not about the, it's just about like being a good time and not being this whole everything shouldn't be so heavy and it is I do think of it with my with comedy. And even, like, I, I've produced Mike Vecchione, another comic's got a special out on YouTube right now. But, like, his is, like, you know, it's, like, trying to create a world that's, like, let's just have fun and be a break for these people. It's, like, uh, and it's hard to sometimes not, you know, because you can, you see other comics saying stuff or you're doing stuff and you're, like, well, maybe I should say so. So it's hard to kind of, re- you know, remind yourself, like, yo, dude, no one cares what I think. And I'm not saying I won't ever not say like, I don't know what the future will be, but right now it's like, you feel the most, my, the most important job I can do is just to make sure you, you people come and have fun and their whole families can come and kids and grandparents are there. And like, just be an event. There's just not, there's nothing people can watch together. I mean, I have a 10 year old and we're just talking about like commercials are even getting tough where you're just sitting there where you're like, I'm just uncomfortable with a commercial. Not that it's like, you're trying to be a prude or anything, but you're like, I don't the, know, dude. It's just uncomfortable. The movies that are shown, yeah. the previews. For yeah. that, I've got yeah. a seven-year-old. I mean, how is this on network TV? Yeah, you on just a Tuesday night. It's scaring yeah. me to watch some of these previews <laughs> yeah. for these these scary movies. Yeah. Um, if, go check out NateBargazzi.com for the Be Funny tour and the schedule. Uh, one fell swoop. It, I, have you seen the uh, the responses on Instagram to the clip? To on uh, one one fell swoop. Yeah, on uh-huh. the story. So you, it, uh, without giving the joke away, can you? Yeah. Give well, that like joke's the... already out. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. So you're not going to do it again? No, no. That joke. Well, the one fell swoop. I'm, joke? I'm messing with you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the so the one fell swoop. Yeah. Um, your wife said something that you knew did not fall in line yeah, with what the meaning of one fell swoop. Yeah. So the responses on here with the the, the video clip uh, are other versions of that for couples. Oh. You, you've got to check this out. So. Uh, woman says, my husband keeps using your next act. Yeah. Just all these responses. My husband keeps using. It's a scientific fact in every argument without proof of facts. It makes me rage. Uh, All of a sudden, my wife is starting to use the word lovely 27 years into marriage. I get enraged when my wife says I could care less, which means you actually care some. (laughs) And I beg the difference. uh, uh, Different sayings. I'm at my end's wit instead of the other way around. Uh, You've caught on to something here. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I, that came with that joke, it's like, I don't even think about it like that where I'm going, you don't think of it. I'm just talking about like what happened in our thing. And so I don't think about like, Oh, like them, you know, people saying stuff weird, but then I like that people are like, Oh yeah. They can I, relate to it. Even if they don't know the exact. Yeah, yeah. They have their, they have their own thing. Yeah. And that's great. That's awesome. I did not know that. For, from someone who's done Netflix specials, Prime Video specials, where it's recorded, but you know they're recording for Netflix or Prime Video, what did you think when you watched Chris Rock do the first ever live event on Netflix and what might be going through his head as he goes live on Netflix for Selective Outrage? Uh, I was like, I opened for Chris, and uh, so I like that live aspect of it. I mean, I would love to do one live just because it's, you, there's no editing. There's no anything. You're like, let me just go out there and just do it. Because you do it every night, you know. And uh, you just want to be able to put it out and you take shows. So, I, I mean, I can imagine. I know it's like 
you just you probably overthinking a lot. And that was such a big they, they they did a lot before it and a lot after it. There was a lot of stuff with that one. And so like that build up is gonna be tough. Because you, you're almost having to. What do you follow. mean by they did a lot before and after? Chris like, Rock did with a stand-up special. No, or no, Netflix? they did. Netflix did a lot of stuff before. So you opened that night? No, no, no. Okay. Netflix did like. I was like, why don't we see that? Also, I know they had the pre-show and the post-show. Yeah, da- I, David Spade and Dana Carvey were on it. The yes. post-show, yeah, yeah, the post-show. That show. part of it. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. And so the, yeah. before the show, uh, Ronnie Chang, uh, very funny comic, but he was hosting something too before. So they had this big build-up. Where it was, uh, you know, like an, maybe an hour before he even came. It was almost like, I would imagine as a comic, you're just like, yo, dude, let me just go. Like, people turn it on and I get to walk out there and do it. Like, I don't, it doesn't, it felt, you know, you'd be scared about, but he did a great job. But you'd be nervous about following that and all that stuff. And it was, uh, you know, but it was great. He did a good job and, he had, you know, went after Will Smith. That's what everybody wanted to see. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did so, you enjoy opening for him when you got a chance to do it? Yeah. I mean, he's, like, probably one of the best ever to do it. And uh, and when you're with him, he just wants to hang out with comics. Like, so you are you just feel like you're, like, I, you can just talk to him about comedy and uh, and just, like, it's just fun and funny. And it's uh, you're just hanging out with another comic. And that's what – I like guys that, like, love stand-up. So, like, the guy – you know, Jay Leno's that. Jay Leno – uh, well, after a special, he texts me or call me just to be like, him and his wife watch you because I love what you're doing. Like, he just calls. He's like, we're doing these corporate shows. Like, I mean, you just start talking to him. Like, I talked to, like, <laughs> Dan Soder, like my buddy I started with. And you're just talking to Jay Leno. And you're like, this is crazy, dude. Or, you spay, like, it's, I love guys that love comedy, and they stick with it the whole time. And, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. Nate Bargatze, uh, man, it's, it's great to see a great person have big success. He falls in, in line there Absolutely. for sure. Uh, again, NateBargassi.com for details on the tour, or you can currently find tickets to the April 15th show on the secondary market uh, because the arena is sold out uh, here in Nashville, uh, but the tour is across yeah. the country. Um, congrats, man. Tour is wide open. If everybody goes. Here's, <laughs> here's how Guys, I, the other date's wide open. If, here's, if you're watching yeah. anywhere else, yeah. so you can get tickets. Not here in Nashville this weekend. I though. knew it was a different level when I heard from marketing and management in Nate's route to today with the interview instead of yeah. just a text back and forth. Well, you can always text me back and I forth. Uh, I had to go do something. You were texting my wife. So, oh, yeah. She, yeah. I, I, it's I, very I, personal. Yeah. We, like ours is like, our my sister. My sister's working with me now. So a lot. you're still getting to a Bargetsy. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know who to text anymore. I was texting your old high school buddy at we're one texting point that was Dude, managing Kenny. you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then, Travis? Uh, well, Kenny also, but uh, no, Travis. Yeah. yeah, yeah and Travis. I don't even know if he still works for you. You put, may have no, fired no, him already. No, he's got. not yet. Just uh, after Bridgestone, I'm going to fire him. No, <laughs> Travis does great. Travis, we all went to Dawson Christian. Uh, yep. And so... You can always text Travis, and he. he, he My can daughter will be up. going to that school next year. By the way. Oh yeah! Moving schools, All right, yeah. it's a go. great school. Nate's leaving. Uh, Kenny, uh, our buddy Kenny Clayton, he's doing NIL oh. for yeah. your yeah. Tennessee Vols. Your, your enemy. <laughs> I know. He keeps. I'll give him a shout out. He's doing. He. Uh, I love Kenny, and they're doing a great job. Whatever you know, what they're doing, all the NIL stuff, and yeah, uh, they're and doing. He's very passionate about it. I wish it was for Vandy, but I'm, I'm happy. Very successful. I'm happy for Kenny. Happy for you, man. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, you too, uh, We'll guys. be at the show. We'll be at the show. We can't right, wait man. to see you. How awesome. Text me at the show.
I won't respond that night. Can you get us yeah. in to see Sandler next time? Yeah, yeah I that's know. The, next time I need that's to. The, that's the key. That's when y'all, y'all come back to see you after the show, and y'all just are like, hey, yeah. where's Sa- where was Sandler's <laughs> yeah, room? Where, where were you hanging out with Sandler I'm back here? I'm like, dead gummit, guys. <laughs> was this was this where Kevin James said yeah. that yeah. night? Yeah. yeah. Uh, NateVargassi.com for details. One of the best. Uh, all the best to, to Nate Vargassi. Our guest coming up. We'll wrap up the show and uh, discuss getting freight trained while trying to propose to your you know your girlfriend slash fiance future fiance and how much money can be made for going viral on that at nlv stadium that's next on hot mic Big thanks to all of our guests today. The Dodgers fan who proposed to his girlfriend and then got freight trained. Viral. He has a GoFundMe. He set up a GoFundMe for the wedding chat. A goal of $20,000, currently $613 in that account. It's one of my favorite videos all time. And for him providing that joy to me with that video, I may donate to this (laughs) GoFundMe. I'm not going to lie. I feel like this man Uh earned it with the trucking that he took, that Chavez Ravine, as he did... Nothing but try to propose to his girlfriend, and he got laid out. Yes, I love the did. video so much. Saving up for a wedding. She said yes. We're back at it tomorrow where we'll have plenty to discuss in the world of NFL and college football, plus all the headlines. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. We'll kick it off at 3 o'clock Eastern on Thursday. I hope you'll join us across the Outkick Network. <laughs>